We're so glad you're here this morning and thank you for worshiping with us. Isn't it great when you can just encourage one another by worshiping? It's like a, a sound of a, a roaring army that is preparing itself and getting ready. And God, I believe, is pleased with a people that worship together in unity. So thank you this morning. I want to share with you a, a story from history, actually. Some years ago, this investment firm opened up and it seemingly became very successful. Uh, many people came along and while this investment firm had opened up uh, and came along and just began to invest money uh, through this firm and uh, the, the firm was very exciting at the time and, and during this point of this, you know, this investment firm, there was this promise of a very high return. So there was an appeal uh, to people who wanted to invest their money uh, in the stock exchange. So uh, this investment firm became very successful, seemingly very successful, and received about $50 billion in investments. That's a lot of money. And the head of this investment firm actually became a very prominent figure on Wall Street and even for some time became chairman of the NASDAQ exchange. Uh, and then in 2008, uh, when the market you know, began to get a little crazy, uh, several investors decided that they wanted to cash out uh, their investments. And it turned out that uh, when they came to cash out, there was no money there. And this was the day that the deceit of Bernie Madoff became public. And it was discovered that he was operating probably one of the largest Ponzi schemes in history, if not the largest. And Bernie promised high returns and investors bought in. And not just investors, but people with power uh, because of the way that he was brought into the position of influence on Wall Street and, and NASDAQ and et cetera, and even governmental influences, uh, all because of this promise of a high return and seemingly it all went to nothing. As they invested their money with Bernie, it came to be found out later that he just simply took that money and deposited into his personal bank account. And billions of dollars were lost because of the deception from this one man. Isn't it amazing that we can go back in history and look and see, wow, that went on for years and nobody knew. Nobody had a clue. It was all the appeal and the allure of what looked like a good promise, but then turned out to be deception at its height. And this morning, I want to talk to you about the art of deception, the art of deception. And we're going to look at some scriptures starting in uh, Revelation, in John's writing in Revelation. And there are some very, if you know the, the, the writings of Revelation, they can be extensive and detailed, and we're not going to go in and try to dissect all of this, but there are some uh, truths that we can get from reading Revelation responsibly that I think can also apply to this concept that we learn about deception. And it's interesting to me that I can read Revelation, I can read the last book in 
revel or the last book in the Bible and see the culminating uh, or, or the underlying work of the enemy all along. And the Bible tells us a story. John records this vision that he sees in Revelation chapter 12 and 13. He records this vision of what he sees as a war happening in heaven. And the dragon and Michael and the angels, there's a war beginning to wage there. And then he goes on and he sees that this dragon was thrown to the earth and then became a beast of the land and a beast of the sea that began to appear. And it becomes evident that what John is referencing in many ways is very symbolic in some, in some uh, picture or fashion of going back all the way, referencing Babylon and all the other empires along the way, even up until Rome and possibly further along, that we see the power of these empires that he calls beasts. In Revelation 12, 9, the Bible says that the great dragon was thrown down, that ancient serpent. Notice that John goes back and he calls him an ancient serpent because he's alluding to the fact that this is the same serpent that deceived Adam and Eve, who is called the devil and Satan. And notice this here, the deceiver of the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. And then we're going to read over in Revelation 13, 11 uh, here. And it says that I saw another beast that rose out of the earth and it had two horns like a lamb and it spoke like a dragon and it exercises all of the authority of the first beast on its behalf. And it makes the earth and its inhabitants worship the first beast whose fatal wound had been healed. It performs, watch what it says here in verse 13, it performs great signs, even making fire come down from heaven to earth in the sight of all. And by the signs that it is allowed to perform of, on behalf of the beast, it deceives the inhabitants of the earth, telling them to make an image for the beast that had been wounded by the sword and yet lived. These are very complex stories that we certainly don't have the time to go through today, but there are some principles nonetheless that we learn about the work of the enemy in deception. And John describes his vision of revelation in terms that are often elusive to, to us today if we are not careful to the context of the first century audience that John is writing to. And he goes through great lengths throughout the whole letter talking about this dragon who he finally identifies in chapter 12. That dragon is Satan. And then also he talks about these beasts whom he also many times likens to Babylon. And Babylon is an important figure. If you know anything about the Bible, you know that Babylon is an important figure in Old Testament history because Babylon is the picture of the place of what seemingly was an empire of power, of status, of wealth. There was military might. There was economic gains. Babylon appeared to be the place to be. And the Israelites soon discovered that Babylon is not the place to be. As a matter of fact, we want out of Babylon. For a long time, the Israelites would stand and look at, as they looked around, you can go back and you can read in 1 Samuel, you can see how Israel said, we want a king like all of the other nations. We want a king 
like Babylon. We want a ruler who's like the one that we see over there. It looks really good. They look powerful. They have structures. They have things that make them look like they are doing great. And this was what led them down the rabbit trail of kings that would ultimately lead them into the hands of Babylon. Babylon was the picture of really what John was trying to describe was an empire of Rome. The picture of Rome that what was seemingly like the status of power in the world was what Rome had become. And we get the principle nonetheless of how you may interpret Revelation is that essentially the nations become beast when they exalt their own power through military strength and economic gains. And we see that Revelation is giving us the picture here that it's an indictment of earthly kingdoms that makes the point that every human kingdom eventually becomes Babylon and must be resisted. The lamb is exalted and honored. Babylon is fallen and unrighteous. And the appeal that John is making is to come to the lamb and leave Babylon behind. The message is clear what John is trying to say. Resist Babylon to follow the lamb or follow the beast and suffer defeat. And this is the art of deception is how these people and these nations and the beast and the dragon would seemingly the deceiver of the whole world would use their there would use their influences to try to allure people away and be fallen or lost. And there must be a heart that says, that begins to search and say that if the serpent is the one, the dragon, Satan, however you want to call him, if he is deceiving people, what is it about deception? And how can I understand deception today? So what is deception? What is deception? What is it that the dragon, what is it that the beast, what is it that was so appealing about Babylon and Rome that people were flocking there, but yet there was a seemingly or, or, no, or notably unrighteousness and wickedness. And deception is the act of causing someone to accept something as true or valid, what is false or invalid. I like to think of it this way. Deception is a distorted truth, but it is not the truth. It is what somebody genuinely, possibly, believes to be true. And this is why you can get in conversations about the gospel and about what people believe, and they are so convinced that maybe they know something that's true. And you as a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ know, I know Jesus is the truth. But there is just something that you know, wait, why aren't they, why aren't they seeing this? Why aren't they getting this? And it's because that's how deception works. Deception convinces somebody that they know the truth that they have the truth. And the art of deception, and I hope you'll take note of this today, is the art of deception is Satan's primary tool to lead people astray. It's his primary weapon that he uses against people. It's a distorted truth. It's not the truth, once again, but it appears to be true. And this was the allure of Babylon, a city well-established, governed, military might, economic power. If they have all of those successes, then that must be the way to do it. But it was all a facade 
of unrighteousness, straying away from the Lord. And this is what John is pleading with the people. Resist Babylon and follow the Lamb. Follow the one who was slaughtered. Follow the one who gave his life for you. Don't go down the empire of the beast. Go down the path of following the Lamb. And so we're going to look a little bit deeper about what is deception and how can we understand this in our, for our context today. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, Paul addresses this thought of deception at another level. And he talks about that, and we're not going to read the whole chapter, but just some few verses to highlight here. I encourage you to read the whole chapter sometime. 2 Timothy 3, he says this, that in the last days, distressing times will come. People will be lovers of themselves, of money, boasters, arrogant, abusive, disobedient to their parents, ungrateful, unholy, and onward and onward and onward. You can read it. And he goes on in verse 7, he says, these people, they are always studying. Watch this. This is, this is so unique about deception. They're always studying, yet never able to recognize or to arrive at a knowledge of the truth. As Janus and Jambres opposed Moses, so these people of corrupt mind and counterfeit faith, watch their position when it comes to truth. They oppose the truth. They're not for the truth. They're opposing the truth. And, but they will not make much progress because as in the case of those two men, he calls their folly will become plain to everyone. He calls their, he, Paul calls their deception folly. It will become plain to everyone. So then we're going to go to verse 13. But wicked people and imposters will go from bad to worse, deceiving others and being deceived. But as for you, Continue in what you have learned and firmly believed, knowing from who you learned it and how from childhood you have known sacred writings that are able to instruct you for salvation through faith in Christ Jesus. Paul is alluding to this early church here to go back to the scrolls, pick up those writings that you know to be true. And as speaking to us today in a different context, you and I have the privilege of holding what he goes on to say, all scripture is inspired by God and is useful for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness so that the person of God may be, uh, may be proficient, equipped for every good work. The art of deception. Notice how Paul talks about two primary things here. Uh, he talks about their unrighteousness, but he puts it in the context of talking about the truth. Janus and Jambres, they oppose the truth. They don't want anything to do with the truth. They're going in the opposite direction. And then the wicked people, they're going to go from bad to worse. And what are they going to do? They're deceiving people, deceiving others and being deceived. That's the thing about sin. And this is the thing about deception. And this is why deception is such a, a tactic of the enemy. Is because when you know right and you do wrong, it is easy to acknowledge I did wrong and turn away from it. But when you think you are right and you do wrong, you don't care. You just keep doing wrong. And that's what deception is. 
And that's what Paul is talking about here, that they have gone from bad to worse. They're not just doing sin anymore. They've gone to the place where they're teaching other people to deceive people. And this is the work, and this is why John refers to Satan as a dragon, as this beast, a beastly-like image, because this is the way the deception works, is deception can be spread. Just like truth can be spread, and just like a rumor or gossip can be spread, deception can be spread. If you believe something is true, and you go and tell someone else, they also can believe that that is true. And this is why we have to stop deception in its tracks. And so a few things about deception that we see here uh, from 2 Timothy 3, from John's image here, is deception comes in two forms. And the first is this. It is self-justification. Deception is self-justification. What does that mean? When someone is deceived or they're being deceived, it is in the act or an instance that they begin to make excuses for oneself. That's what self-justification is. That in my own eyes, I have made this right. I've, this is okay. I've made an excuse for why I'm doing this thing that I know is contrary to the truth. In my own eyes, we might say, I can do this because. There are conversations that happen in our minds where we convince ourselves of something to be true and we use excuses to the point where we finally have come to the place that we're no longer making excuses. We've just accepted it. it's true. And that's the scary thing about deception. As a matter of fact, Paul goes on to talk about those people who are in sin and he says they are like people who wear blindfolds. Their eyes are covered. They think that they're walking in the right path, but they can't even see if they are or not. They're blindfolded. And this is the truth about the thing that we have to understand is that there is no justification apart from the blood of the Lamb. There is no excuses that I can make to make myself right. We are made justified through Jesus Christ. That is the only way. And as long as you and I are convincing ourselves and trying to justify something in ourselves, then we must understand, is this the thing that God wants for me? Because I am only justified through the blood of the Lamb. When deception begins to occur and it begins to lead us, we begin to read something in truth. We begin to read the Bible and then we begin to say things like, is that really true? Is it, well, did God really mean it that way? That's what Satan did to Eve, right? Did God really say there's excuses that begin to be made. There's a distortion that begins to be made. You're no longer taking the word of God for what it says. You're taking it through the filter of the enemy's voice. And it's begun to be twisted. And this was what the enemy did. If you watch, remember, the enemy, he's the ancient serpent. This has been his tactic all along. When Jesus was in the wilderness for 40 days, what did he do? He came at him with the truth of God's word and began to quote scripture to him. And begin to point it at Jesus and say the things that came straight from the word of God. And But what was he doing? He was taking truth and he was distorting it. He was twisting it. He was giving it in such a way that there was an appearance of what appeared to be true. But Jesus recognized, no, what you're telling me, you're taking it in the wrong way. That's not how God intended it. And he confronted it also with scripture. It's self-justification. 
And when, I, when we are being deceived, when the enemy is trying to work and use a tactic against us, we have to stop. Whenever we're making excuses, that's a red flag to say, am I being deceived? Am I being led to believe something that is not true? Am I being drawn on a path that is not true? And remember, look, the enemy, he's the ancient serpent. He's been doing this for a long time. And he's very crafty and very cunning. He's not going to bring us a deception. He's not going to bring something to you that makes you think immediately, oh, that's wrong. It's the little things, the little areas. It's, well, did God really say? Are you sure that God said that? And watch how when the serpent talks to Eve in that instance, you can go read it in Genesis 3. He's trying to make Eve arrive at the, the perception of truth on her own. He doesn't say for statement of fact, he asks a question. Why did he ask a question? Because he wants Eve to think that it's true for herself. Because that is how deception works. You can tell somebody a statement of fact, but if they, and then they can just disregard it. But if they come to think that it's true for themselves, then they have been deceived. And that's how the enemy works. It's self-justification. Am I making excuses? Am I making excuses for unrighteousness? Am I making excuses for things that God's word clearly opposes? Am I making excuses for things that God is not trying to warn and keep me from, but I'm doing it anyways. But God's word, listen, this is not a lie. This is truth. What is a lie, Jesus tells us, is that everything comes from Satan's mouth is a lie. He is, the matter of fact, he calls him the father of lies. Every lie came from Satan. The second thing that deception is, is he calls it self-righteousness. And this was the problem in 2 Timothy 3, is that they began to be lovers of themselves, lovers of money. They began to become right in their own eyes. And that is what self-righteousness is. It is convinced of one, one's own rightness in contrast with the actions or beliefs of others. And this is the predominant thinking of our world today, is that I can say, Jesus says this is the truth. And someone else can come along and say, no, this is the truth. And our world lives in this postmodern thinking that says, what is true for you is true for you, but it's not necessarily true for me. But listen how twisted and distorted that is. If truth is truth, the truth is truth. It is what it is. It doesn't matter if it's true or false for another. That's so twisted thinking. And that's how the enemy works, is to make me think, well, I'm right in my own eyes. So it doesn't matter what any other truth says. And that's the danger of deception is they become so convinced of one's own righteousness that you get to the place you think, I don't need the righteousness of Christ in my life anymore. It's the thinking that says there's nothing wrong with what I'm doing. It's all okay. No matter what God's word says, it's okay. It's, I'm, I'm, I've convinced myself it's all right. It's self-righteousness. But you and I must remember that there is no righteousness apart from Jesus. It doesn't matter. Listen, none of us should ever. It doesn't matter how, how well-versed we are in Scripture, how well-knowledgeable we are. We should always be open to be corrected, to receive truth, to be guided in the way that leads us to edification and closer to Christ. There should always be a humility in us that fosters 
growth. That is the place that God has called us to be. Listening and able to be corrected and say, Jesus, if I am wrong, please correct me. Please help me to hear this in the way that you have so desired for me. So how do you, how do you combat, how do you come against deception? What is the thing that beats against self-justification and self-righteousness? What are the things that God's calling us to look at? Well, Paul answers that for us in 2 Timothy chapter 3. He says, all scripture is inspired by God. Say with me this morning, all, 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 all scripture, all scripture. Not the scripture you choose, all scripture, all scripture. From the beginning to the end, it's God's word. And if God said it, it's true. He is truth. Jesus is truth. He is not only truth, but he is the way, the truth, and life. The freedom from deception is truth. It's simple. It's so easy. But so how easy it is to be deceived. The standard of truth in our world and the standard of truth for all people is Jesus. He is the standard of truth. And if you want to combat deception, it comes through the Word of God. It comes through taking the Word of God and doing what Paul says here. It's inspired by God. And it's not only inspired, but it's inspired so that it is useful to be taught. We have to be teachable. It's useful for the fact that I can be reproved, meaning that God can come in and convict me and help me to get on the path I'm supposed to be. It's, a, it's useful for correction, meaning that if I've messed up the Word of God, it is inspired so that it can help me get back and be disciplined so that I know, yes, Lord, I was wrong. The truth is right. And it's for training in righteousness. If you want to be free, if you want to be combating deception and to be on guard, as Paul is reason he writes this in 2 Timothy chapter 3, as he talks about this because of all the false gospels that were arising, people who were preaching tr supposed truth, but was a, uh, it was an affront to the gospel. And what Paul called them to do is the way that you combat that and the way that you prepare yourselves is, is you don't have to live in fear. Oh no, oh no. I'm worried it's doomsday. No. You take up the sword of the Spirit. You put yourself in the Word of God and you begin to embrace it and put it in your heart. This is why when John sees Jesus coming in Revelation, riding on a white horse, he's victorious. And what does he see coming out of his mouth? He sees a sword because what comes out of Jesus' mouth is truth that pierces and separates deception and truth and helps our eyes to understand that Jesus is the standard of truth. If we're going to be led in a place that says, I'm going to be on the path that God has me to be on, we must embrace Scripture. Let it speak to our soul. Meditate on it day and night. Let it sink down in until it gets deep root. When we've read it and it doesn't seem to take, go back and read it again. When we've gone through it and it says, oh, I'm wrestling through that, go through it again. John chapter 8 verse 31 says this, If you, Jesus speaking, this is so powerful. If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples and you will know the truth. How do you know the truth? 
You take this word and you let it get deep rooted in your heart. That's where truth comes from. And guess what happens when you get the truth? The truth will set you free. That's the powerful work of truth. Deception keeps you bound. It keeps you locked into a lie that the enemy has crafted in your mind. But when you're reading the word of God, when it's bedded deep down within you, and there's a little voice that whispers and tries to lead you in a path that you know is contrary to the word of God, you can say within, deep within your soul and say, no, but God's word says this. God's word is able to keep us and guard us and keep us from falling. And this is why David said, your word I have hid in my heart so that I might not sin against you because of the power of God's word. I remember hearing a testimony years ago uh, from, uh, from a famous uh, gospel musician, actually. And he began to share his testimony, how he began to be led on a path that ultimately led him to fall in, the fa fall in sin. And he began to talk about his story. And he said he talked about him having ADHD. And it was so hard for him to read the Bible that he would just be, he would read a verse and it was just a struggle for him to wrap his mind around it. And it just, he would try and he would try and he'd try. And he said, he just finally gave up one day and said, I'm not going to read the word of God anymore. I just, I can't think straight. I can't do it. And ultimately he talks about how that decision led him into this, this decline and ultimately into a deep place of sin. And then one day when God began his testimonies, wonderful, began to work in his life. And he talked about how he began to come back. God spoke to him through a, a dream and brought him back. He began to talk about how God put it in his heart that he needed to get into the word of God again. And he began to wrestle with the Lord. He said, he said, Lord, I can't even read. I, my, I get through one verse and I can't think straight. It's just, and he said, God spoke to him as he began to wrestle with that. And he said, oh, but my word does not return void. When God's word goes forward, when God's word is spoken, it accomplishes. This is what Isaiah said. It does not return void. And it, in the other part of that verse is, and it accomplishes the purpose that it was sent forth to do. The word of God is powerful. It is not just like reading any other book. It, this is reading the words of God, the creator the one who breathes life, the one who sustains our soul. And so when you read the word of God, you are reading life for your soul. You are taking it and it is getting inside of you. And sometimes you might find yourself, I found myself, I've had a verse, I never sat down to memorize that verse. I never had it in my heart to say, you know, I'm gonna work to memorize that verse. But somehow, reading it over and over again, year after year, I find myself arriving at a situation and a verse comes to mind. Why? Because the Bible says that when the spirit of truth comes, speaking about the Holy Spirit, guess what he's going to do? He's going to guide you into all truth. And this word, when it gets deep down in you, it's not going to avoid an empty space. It's going into your soul. It's taking fertile ground and good soil that God wants to grow into a plant that he has so desired. I beg of you, take this and put it in your soul. Meditate it on day and night. You might have to do like me when I was a new Christian. I was 13 years old, new to the faith, and I hated reading. I didn't want to read any book they gave us at school. It just was not my thing. But I knew I needed to read the Word of God. And I heard someone told me right when I got, became a Christian, he said to me, if you are not praying and reading your Bible every day, I encourage you, do it now. And that stuck with me. And I remember those words so clearly. And I thought to myself, well, I don't know anything about this. If he says that's what I need to do, I'll do it. And it started for me. I said, well, Lord, I don't like reading. 
So if I just started a verse a day, and I noticed that what began to happen is a verse a day, my soul just began to begin to read a verse that said something like this. If you abide in my word, you are my disciples. You'll know the truth and the truth will set you free. And words like that, words like Matthew 6, seek first the kingdom of God. I just began day after day. It was just a taste of the word of God. And I began to discover something. My soul was hungry for more. And I began to realize I can't just live off a verse a day. I want more and more and more. And what became just a snack for me became my sustenance, became the thing to sustain me, to keep me. That when the enemy would come with temptation, there was something that was embedded deep in me and says, no, this is the word of God. This is truth. That's the power of the word of God. Changes your life. This is not just something I'm saying today. Do it for yourself. Test it. Try it. See if you don't take up the Word of God and put it in your life and take it for a year and just say every day I'm going to take the Word of God and read it every day and embed on it, meditate it day and night. Watch how it changes your life. It will be the thing that consumes your thoughts. It will be the thing that you read and you think, well, that didn't really speak to me. Later on in the day, it begins, something happens and you think, oh my goodness, I needed what I read today. It was life for my soul. The enemy is using words to come against us. It's deception. But how do we come against that? It's the word of God. It's not our words. It's the word of God. The good thing, the good thing it's not our words, right? It's God's word. As the musicians come, remember, if you abide in my word, Jesus said, you're my disciples and you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. And I think about so many people Oh, they need freedom today. They need the freedom that truth brings from knowing. I've been led to believe something that I know is wrong. I've been led to believe something I know God's word opposes. I need freedom from it. Lord, give me freedom. Watch what God does when you begin to pray that prayer. Because God promises the truth. When you abide in his word, there's freedom. You know, John talks about in Revelation, he talks about that image of the dragon. He talks about the image of the beast. And boy, they can be frightening images when you read through it in detail. Uh, but John is not a writer of defeat. He's a writer of victory. And John in Revelation 7, and just to give us perspective today, John talks about, he begins to, uh, he hears, but the Bible says, the words actually says that he hears the census being called of the 144,000 of all the tribes. And he begins to hear every tribe's name is called Judah, Ephraim, Manasseh, so forth. And he begins to see all the names and he hears them actually. He hears their number to be called. But the wonderful truth of that chapter is not in the number of the 144,000 of Israel. The wonderful truth of that chapter is that although he hears about 144,000, he turns and he sees the lamb. And guess who's before the lamb? Not just Israel. Every tribe, every nation, every tongue. And what is he doing? He's leading them in victory. He's leading them in freedom. And that is the wonderful truth that Revelation reminds us that Jesus, he's not the dragon that leads us astray. He's not the one who seeks to kill, steal, and destroy. He's the conquering lamb. He is the image of what all might think is not the source of power. A lamb? How's a lamb going to lead us? 
but the lamb is going to lead us because we are justified by the blood of that lamb and we're made righteous by the blood of that lamb and John's image of revelation is that we're not going to be led in defeat but that ultimately that dragon is going to be locked up in a great abyss and that abyss is a place where what can he no longer do he can no longer deceive the nations Revelation 18 says but he'll be locked up and kept and you and I will be led in victory by the conquering lamb isn't that wonderful that Jesus has truth and freedom promised for you and I? We're not going to be bound by that as believers in Jesus Christ. We're going to be serving the wonderful truth of the Lamb that was slain for you and I. Will you stand with me this morning? Every eye closed today. Can we just take a moment? Just reflect for a moment, Lord. Your word tells us all scripture is inspired by God and is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, for training in righteousness. Lord, today we say we need your word. Lord, come this morning. Let your word bring freedom today. Lord, if there's a blindfold over any eye here this morning, May the blindfold be removed. May light shine in the darkness today. And may there be a release from captivity of deceit. And may the truth of Jesus lay bare our souls before you, Lord. And we say, here we are, Jesus. Lord, help us to not make excuses for our wrongness. Help us to not go on thinking we're right and everyone else is wrong. But help us to humbly submit to the truth God's word, the lamb that was slain because he loved us. He died and gave himself for all of our sins because we do need a savior. Jesus, I thank you today. Lord, I thank you for your word this morning. I thank you for what you said today that if we abide in your word, that it will bring freedom. Bring freedom this morning, Lord. Father, this morning, I pray today that there's a word from heaven that will sustain the weary. Lord, today may the word of God come and cut to the heart. Lead us to repentance. Let it come right now from your presence, Jesus. Lord, let the word of God remind us today of the demonstration of the Spirit's power, the one who guides us into all truth. Come this morning. Free us, Lord. If we've been bound by deceit, free us, Lord. Lead us, conquering lamb. Jesus. Lord, I thank you today. If you need Jesus in your life this morning, you need freedom, call on his name. The Bible tells us that if we confess our sins, we begin to recognize, I do need to be justified. I am not righteous in my own sense. If we confess our sins, the Bible says that he is faithful to forgive us of all of our unrighteousness. So make it plain to him today. The first way you get on the step of correction is by admitting, 
Lord, I have been led astray. I need the truth of Jesus in my life today. So Lord, set us free today. Lord, may the power of the gospel go forward today, Lord. Father, we say today we are not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God unto salvation. So Lord, today as your word is proclaimed, Lord, we hold it to its purpose that it will not return void, but it will accomplish the purpose that it's been sent forward, Lord. Father, as we become bearers of the truth, Lord, we know today, God, it was not a waste. It is not for nothing, Lord. It is to sow seeds of truth that has been led in deceit and lies. So, Lord, use us today, God, as people proclaiming the truth of Jesus. Lord, fill every person here this morning, Lord. Give us a fresh hunger for your word of God. Lord, don't let it be so in this congregation that there's a famine for the word of God. But, Lord, may there be a fresh hunger in our souls for your word, longing and saying, Lord, Lord, feed us our daily bread. Sustain our soul, Lord. Give us what we need to survive spiritually, Lord. We pray today, God, speak over us this morning, Lord. Let your word cover us. Lord, let your word heal us today. Lord, speak your word and restore, Lord. Speak your word and build new life today. Lord, I thank you today, this morning. You need prayer this morning. You need Jesus in your life. Just come forward today. I want to pray for you this morning you're hungry for the word of God can we just tell the Lord I'm hungry Lord I need your word in my life fill me with your word Lord don't let me grow apathetic to the word of God Lord get me a hunger for your word Lord Jesus we're hungry for you today we're longing for you Jesus we're hungry for your word Lord we're hungry for you Jesus we're hungry for you Jesus the choir comes. You need prayer. Please come this morning. Please come this morning. Lord, this morning, I thank you, Father. Your word tells us you have given us authority to tear down divine strongholds, Lord. So this morning, we pray every stronghold that's in anybody's life today, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name come tumbling down. Destroy it, Lord. Get rid of it, Lord. God, if there's a stronghold of deceit on anybody's life in this room today, Lord, destroy that stronghold in Jesus' name. Bring freedom today, Lord. There is freedom in the presence of the Lord. of the way you are because of the sin in your life. 
God loves you regardless and there's nothing you can do that would change how much he loves you. But all that he's asking is that you would just surrender your life to him and let him embrace you and cover you with his love. Don't listen to that lie of the enemy that says God doesn't love me. No, God gave his son because he loves you and he has a purpose and plan for your life. Turn to him, surrender to him. Now is the day of salvation. Give yourself to him while it is called today, right now in this moment. Don't delay, don't linger, don't wait to another moment. We're not promised tomorrow, we're promised today. Jesus is saying to you today, he loves you, he loves you no matter what, he loves you. He died and gave his life for you. He rose again and conquered the grave for you because he loves you. Thank you, Lord, for freedom today, Jesus. 